Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line. With me, Michael Rydelnik. This is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. We're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Coming to you live right here from the studio in Chicago at our flagship station, WMBI. If you have a question, give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. You can always post your question by going to openlineradio.org. There's a link there that says, ask Michael a question, fill out the form. Trish will put, Trish McMillan, our producer, will add your question to the mailbag. And you know, before we get back to the phones, let me tell you about our current resource. When I was a freshman at Moody Bible Institute, we were required as part of the curriculum to read Balancing the Christian Life by Charles Ryrie. It was a biblical, very wise approach to how to grow as a believer. It had a tremendous impact on my life. And when I had to decide on seminary, I chose to go to the school where Dr. Ryrie taught. I actually got to take two classes with him as professor. I still think this book is an excellent tool. It will help us all grow as believers and especially help you balance your walk with the Lord. It can be yours when you give a gift of any size to Open Line. We want to say thank you and send you a copy of Balancing the Christian Life. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember, ask for Balancing the Christian Life. Uh, you're going to really appreciate this book. It's a classic. And we're going to talk now with uh, Kevin in Roseville, Minnesota, uh, listening on KCFB. Welcome to Open Line, Kevin. How are you? How can I help you? Yeah, thank you, and thank you for your time. Uh, I uh, wanted to ask you <clears throat> about a, a tool to help in my Bible study, which I'm kind of learning how to study the Bible, and uh, uh, a tool or a book or anything that might help to better understand the different books mm -hmm. or these genres they call them in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I know, I hear people when they teach and preach on, they make references to, um, well, let's say, yeah, they talk. Really uh, they, they talk about narrative or poetry or uh, or wisdom lit or legal literature, right? And and one of the real important things is understanding genre, because uh, all different forms of of literature are not read exactly the same way. That's what you're asking about, right, Kevin? Yeah. Okay. I, I read some books on hermeneutics, and they. Give a principle, but yeah. I don't read yeah, yeah, yeah. 91 like the, Corinthians. The, the, the best place to go for that is a book by Walt Russell. Uh, teaches at, I, I don't know if he still teaches, but he taught at Biola and Talbot in the past. Walt Russell, uh, he probably still teaches there. Uh, and it's published by Navigators. It's called Playing with Fire. And it says it's about spiritual formation uh, from reading Scripture, and it is. But what I love about it is he goes through the various genres and explains how to read them and then shows how we can benefit from reading those genres appropriately for towards our spiritual growth. And so I would recommend 
a great book on genre interpretation is by Walt Russell. It's called Playing with Fire. Uh, I use that in my hermeneutics class when I teach biblical interpretation. That's one of the textbooks I use. I think it's a terrific book. So, okay, thanks for your call, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak next with Diane in Florida, listening on WHGN. Uh, how can I help you today, Diane? So grateful you're listening. Hi, Michael. Um, I'm just wondering about how the people know in detail how the disciples were martyred. Um, I couldn't find anything in the Bible other than Judas, and I'm just wondering, they said, well, it's in the concordance, and I don't have that in my Bible. So I'm just it's, wondering... It's not, that, in the, not in the concordance. They... No, no, no. <laughs> what? A concordance is just a, a compilation of the words in the Bible and how they're used and where they're used, uh, you know, where you can find the usage of the words, even a, like a, a Strong's Concordance or a Young's Concordance or the NASB Concordance or the NIV Concordance. They're just big. They have every word of the Bible categorized. It's not just a dictionary. It shows you you can look up every usage of that word. Uh, you can find it and then see by the way you understand how a word means is how is it used, and it's used different ways in different contexts. So, uh, so yeah, oh, that's, that's, well, what, that's what a concordance is. So the answer to your question is not a concordance. That's, that's not whoever told you that was mistaken. Uh, oh, okay. The way we know about the disciples' uh, martyrdom is ancient church tradition. That's the only way. Uh, so... Okay. Uh, we know, but we can believe that. Well, I, I, there's good evidence to support it. I I wouldn't believe it as gospel. I wouldn't believe it like I do the scriptures. But there's good evidence. You know, the tradition about how Peter was martyred, that he refused to be. Right. Uh, he he chose to be crucified upside down. There's a uh, pretty good evidence uh, for what happened uh, to Paul and where he was martyred. Uh, and I, I, I've been to Rome. I've seen uh, where uh, Paul was martyred, and uh, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, I, I'm going to suggest a book to you to understand those traditions that help put them in order and help you understand how okay. how much we can trust them. It's uh, a Moody Publishers book. It was written by my friend, uh, someone I love, great ch- church historian. Uh, his name is Brian Litvin, L-I-T-F-I-N, Brian Litvin, and it's okay. called After Acts, and it's what happened— After Acts? Yeah. Okay. It's what happened based on tradition uh, to the apostles after the book of Acts was over. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. That's a very helpful book, and uh, Brian's a terrific historian and— uh, teaches at Liberty University, taught for many years at Moody, a good friend of mine. He's very trustworthy. So hope you like that book. Uh, we're going to, thanks for your call, Diane. We're going to talk with Tony in Birmingham, Alabama, listening on the website. Welcome to Open Line, Tony. How can I help you? Thank you so much for taking my call. Please, oh, I pray the Holy Spirit will help you enlighten my understanding. As I teach Scripture, I've taught Daniel, the book of Daniel, several times. And I teach out of the New King James normally. But I've discovered that uh, in uh, Daniel 9.26, a phrase that I use to point, 
point to Messiah, it says, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That phrase, but not for himself, is not in uh, the Holman Christian Standard. It's not in the NIV or any of them. Of them. They have changed the wording. No, to no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Just they may have translated it differently. They okay. don't, they, there's always this thing with when people who read the King James, they will say, they changed it. Well, no one changes anything. They just translate different things. That's all. Uh, okay, that, that's what I'm trying to understand. I want to rightly divide the word. Yeah. And what in the, you know Hebrew, what in the Hebrew has changed in the translation that they've discovered or something? Yeah, uh, it says he will be cut off. I'm looking at it. And we'll have nothing. The Hebrew is uh, unclear, uh, and it could be translated, but not for himself. But more likely, and and without anything, or with and have nothing. So that's uh, that's the more probably the more accurate translation. But it doesn't. It's not absolute. It's just a better translation. Uh, it's a better. Yeah. That's it. Oh, well, it's, it's, I, thought, I thought that was a great verse in pointing to Messiah. It yeah, is a great verse Christ. pointing to Messiah, but uh, uh, it's not, uh, and have nothing meaning that there he is, uh, he'll be cut off, he'll be killed, crucified, uh, you know, but not for himself implies substitution, have nothing means left, you know, there with, with nothing, uh, sort of destitute on the cross, and that that is accurately what happened. So okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So the, the uh, having nothing would be a better translation. Likely, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a little enigmatic, but uh, that's the, probably the better translation. Yeah, none of the none of the commentaries. Uh, I got MacArthur's commentaries, and none of the commentaries point that out. So, uh, 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 none of the commentaries <laughs> point that out at uh, all. Uh, MacArthur's commentary doesn't. Mention well, it and, well uh, if, if MacArthur's commentary is that's not none, that's just one commentary that doesn't mention yeah. it. Uh, let's. I'm trying to see. I know the author of the Daniel commentary in the Moody Bible commentary. I want to see if if he mentioned it. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, let's see. The Messiah will be cut off. Uh, uh, no, this author uh, probably an incompetent. Uh, didn't mention that uh, he would be cut off, a prediction of the death of the Messiah. Thus, the book of Daniel, written in the 6th century B.C., contains predictions not only of the precise date of Messiah's coming, but also of his death sometime before the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. It was fulfilled when Jesus, the Messiah, was crucified in A.D. 33. Uh, And then it talks about the people of the prince. This author just really blew it. He didn't explain it. Terrible, terrible author. Uh, that was me. So uh, I thought you were born that way. Yeah, uh, great humility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have mentioned what that was about. So, okay. Well, thanks yeah. for your call. I appreciate it, Tony. Hope that helped. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, we're gonna take a break here, and uh, when we come back, we have time for more of your questions. Give me a call eight seven seven five four eight. 3675 if you have a question uh, and I'll do my best to answer it uh, and I won't rely on that author in the Moody Bible commentary too much so okay uh, stay right there we'll be back in a moment this is Michael Rydelnik on Open Line
Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik. A couple weeks ago, I was in Minneapolis, Eden Prairie to be specific. Uh, we were doing a live audience Open Line. It was great fun. Uh, it was at a conference by Chosen People Ministries at uh, uh, Minneapolis. And uh, I got to meet a few kitchen table partners, people who commit monthly to give a gift to Open Line to keep our weekly Bible study on the air. And I was so grateful. I'm actually grateful for all our listeners, but especially these kitchen table partners. Their generosity means so much to Tricia and to me and to everyone here at Moody Radio. Uh, someone wrote on Facebook recently, they said, if you listen to Open Line regularly, you should become a kitchen table partner too. And uh, I appreciate that encouraging word. You can become a kitchen table partner and give monthly to Open Line. All you have to do, uh, well, when you do, I will send you an audio Bible study every other week. It's designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. And you know what I think is interesting is I've been doing hard sayings of Jesus in recent weeks for our kitchen table partners. Uh, and that, actually, I had never thought to do that, but it was kind of fun. Uh, and been, I've been having a good time teaching about the hard sayings of Jesus or the politically incorrect Jesus. Those are fun to listen to, I think. Uh, anyway, become a kitchen table partner today by calling 888-644-7122, or you can go online and sign up there by going to openlineradio.org. And we're going to speak right now with J Yarek, uh, listening from Chicago on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Yarek. How can I help you? Uh, good morning, uh, Michael, and nice to uh, nice to um, uh, talking to you. I have a uh, clarifying question to you, which you stated that over the last 200 years, uh, Jewish communities were persecuted by Christian churches. What did you What did you mean by that? I actually didn't say uh, uh, 200 years. I said two millennia, meaning 2,000 two years. Millennia. 2,000 years. 2,000 years, okay. Yeah. But you were talking about a specific group of uh, Christians uh, or just um, uh, overall Christians' communities? Well, the, it, uh, what we find is in the Church Fathers, first there was a real determination to, pr to, to prove the truth of Jesus being the Messiah by repudiating Jewish people. That was, unfortunately, one of the ways mm -hmm. they went about it. But by the time you come to the great church fathers, the, the, what, what are called the Antinicene fathers, the after the Council of Nicaea church fathers in the 4th and 5th centuries, they became very hateful of Jewish people. Uh, and so, for example, you have someone in the East, the great patriarch in the East, uh, John Chrysostom, John Goldenmouth, uh, he mm -hmm. said, God always hated the Jews. It's incumbent upon all Christians to hate mm -hmm. the Jews. Uh, Augustine said that the Jewish people have the mark of Cain upon them, that God won't allow them to be destroyed, but they have to wander the earth and be persecuted wherever they go by Christians. Uh, and uh, then you get Ambrose, who uh, St. Ambrose, uh, who is supposed to be a very loving person who authorized and demanded the burning of synagogues uh, in Callinicus. And so 
Uh, It gets worse in the Middle Ages uh, with the Crusades, uh, when the church was persecuting Jewish people in the name of Jesus. They were cross-bearers. They were murdering, raping, pillaging in Jewish communities in the Rhine Valley. Uh, They burned all the Jewish people in the uh, synagogues in in Jerusalem, when they arrived to Jerusalem in 1099, all the Jewish people were gathered into the churches, uh, into the synagogues, and they were burned alive. And as they were burned alive, the crusaders marched around the synagogue singing hymns of praise to Jesus, singing, Christ, we adore thee. Uh, in, the, in the 15th century, the Inquisition came up, 13th, 14th, 15th century, the, the Inquisition persecuted Jewish people. We think that perhaps with the Reformation, it would get better. Uh, uh, Martin Luther just excoriated the Jewish people and demanded that the synagogues be burned and their rabbis be forbidden from uh, from teaching the Bible on pain of death. Uh, uh, and Calvin was harsh, but not quite as violent in his mind about the Jewish people. So we have a great deal of history to deal with. And so when Jewish people think about Jesus, they don't really think about Jesus. They think about what people said and did in his name. And that's one of the great obstacles to overcome in presenting the good news uh, to Jewish people because of that terrible history of Christian anti-Semitism. Thank you, Michael, for clarification, because I was thinking I did get your statements wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm Polish, okay, by the way. I live in Chicago, so I have a, a family all in Poland. So, um, But again, uh, if you are talking about two millennials, yes, you're right. You are well, right on target. And uh, uh, I will tell you this. My, my, dad, wow. my dad is from Poland. Uh, he was born in a town called Chmiel- <laughs> Chmielnik, and uh, he was accused as a little boy of murder. As a little boy, he was accused of murder uh, because a, a child went missing, and they said that this Jewish child that was last seen uh, murdered him and used his blood. The Jewish community used his blood to make Passover matzah. Then the child showed up before they could do anything to my dad, so that uh, the the charge went away. So even in Poland in the 20th century, uh, there was a good deal of, of Christian anti-Semitism. Uh, that that's hard for us to fathom. Uh, even when you think of it, there are many Christians who acquiesce to Nazi hatred of Jewish people, and and uh, because of the history of anti-Semitism, even born-again believers uh, followed along with what the Nazis did, who were not Christian, but they there were many Christians who acquiesced to it. So yeah, I don't think we have to give the uh, the, the European Church. Uh, a good deal of reprieve from this history of anti-Semitism. It, it, it's been bad. Uh, even today, there are churches that are especially hateful of Israel and uh, put all the blame of all the problems on the Jewish people in the Middle East. And uh, I think that's a big mistake. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that, that, you know, we have to be cautious about anti-Semitism. I think it is a problem and remains a problem in the church. So, Yarek, I appreciate your heart that you don't uh, agree with that anti-Semitism. Thank God for that. I'm really grateful. Uh, but we do have to recognize that that's been the pattern. Uh, 
for for many many years. Okay, Eric. Sure, absolutely. Yep. Uh, what part of Poland did your uh, uh, dad grow up? He he grew up in Chmielnik. It's uh, ninety kilometers northeast of Krakow. Ah, okay, okay, okay. close by my area too. So okay. Anyway, Great. but you were born here in in yeah. In US, I was right? born in the Holy Land, Brooklyn, New York. That's where I'm from. So okay. <laughs> Okay. I love your uh, sense of humor, okay? God Great. bless, okay? Thank you, Yarek. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Uh, we're going to speak with uh, Frank in Ohio, listening to WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Frank. Thank you, Dr. Rydelnik, for taking my call. Sure. In the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation, Scripture details the ministry of two evangelists during the tribulation, referred to as the two witnesses. Mm-hmm. Scripture describes the death, resurrection, and the rapture of these two men. Although Scripture does not mention who they are by name, I was wondering if you would share your thoughts regarding who they may be. Well, I don't know who they're going to be, honestly. Uh, It says that there's going to be two witnesses, right? Uh, Yeah. And uh, it says... There's some people who think it's going to be Enoch and Elijah because they're the only Old Testament saints that didn't die. You know, Enoch was with uh, was taken by God, and uh, mm-hmm. Elijah went up. But I don't think there's anything to make us think that these are Enoch and Elijah. And then it says that what they have, uh, what their authority is, these men have the power to close up the sky so that it doesn't rain during the days of their prophecy. So that immediately makes us think that of Elijah, right? Because that's what Elijah did. And then it says they also yeah. have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague whenever they want. And that makes us think of Moses. So some people think it will be Moses and Elijah. I actually think that they're just going to be, and I'm not sure of this, when it happens, we'll know better. But I think there will be two prophets raised up in uh, the power of Elijah's or the, the sim- similar to Elijah and similar to Moses. Uh, I don't think they necessarily have to be Moses and Elijah, but it'll be two witnesses raised up in that time who will be like Moses and Elijah. Okay? Okay, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, thanks for your call. Really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, let's see, Miguel in Orlando, Florida, listening to WKES. Welcome to Open Line, Miguel. How can I help you? May God bless you, your staff, and all your families. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I am visiting a church with my wife. She's a new believer. I'm going back to the faith. Uh, Great preaching. However, uh, she's taking some classes, and they're talking about that there are four different baptisms in the Bible. Mm -hmm. The first one means a baptism by a spirit in a body. Number two, water baptism. Number three, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Number four, baptism with fire. Please, I understand that there's only one baptism. Well, actually, there's two baptisms, not four. There's baptism in the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ or baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says we're all baptized by one spirit into one body 
body. And that's the same thing as that they're calling the third, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That The baptism by the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of faith. We are immersed, that's what the word baptism means, immersed into the body of the Messiah, into the body of Christ uh, immediately. Then secondly, uh, there's uh, water baptism, which uh, I happen to believe it doesn't happen for babies, but when we are believers, we are baptized with water, the Lord Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them or immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's water baptism. That's number two. Uh, and number three, as you've been taught, I know that many uh, Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches would say there's a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens after salvation. I don't think so. I think it's just what immerses us uh, in uh, into the body of Christ. And then fourth, they're saying baptism with fire. Baptism with fire actually is a phrase that comes from Matthew 3 uh, when John the Baptist is talking and he says, uh, he himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, the one that comes after him, the one that he's pointing to, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's, of course, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then baptism with fire. And then he describes what baptism with fire is. It's the burning of the chap. He uh, says uh, he's going to baptize us with judgment if we don't believe. And that's what baptism... Hopefully you won't experience that now that you've trusted in Jesus. We'll be right back with more of the mailbag in just a moment. So don't go away. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik. Joining me right now is Trisha McMillan. She is the producer of Open Line, but I'm going to tell you two more important facts about Trisha McMillan. Well, actually, there's several more important facts. Second important fact, she is the wife of Nathan, and that's, I think, a very important role that she has. She's the mom of three kids, also a very important role that she plays. Uh, she is a devoted follower of Jesus, most important role, but also, and here's the part I was coming to, she, Trisha McMillan is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, both undergrad and graduate. Is that true, Trisha? It is true. Yeah. So how did you come to choose Moody Bible Institute for your schooling? Oh, okay. So I was looking at when I was I actually was going a completely different direction my junior year of high school, and I got a job at the local radio station, um, which was not Christian, uh, and got the radio bug, uh -huh. as many of my coworkers have. Yeah. Um, and so then I started looking at communications and radio communications, and so I had it narrowed down to Northwestern in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities, um, St. Paul, I think, yeah. um, and Moody, who both had very, still do, have very strong broadcasting um, majors mm -hmm. and landed on Moody because I was going to get a double Bible major with the communications degree. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was that's a, that I when mean, I came to Moody. I, I think it's a, that's, you, I didn't know what you were going to say, but yeah. that's exactly what I wanted you to say. <laughs> that's perfect. Because I was, you know, as Dean, I, I kind of look at what we are doing here at Moody and it's really, everyone gets a a Bible major. No matter what we study, we have all sorts of great majors, including 
a phenomenal communications department. And uh, no matter what, though, you get a Bible major. Everyone double majors. And uh, right here in this building that we're in, uh, the Chapman Center, where the second, third, and fourth floors are all devoted to radio and to publishing. But the first floor is the media lab for the communications department. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a phenomenal media lab. We do a great job. So I'm just letting people know that so often people think, well, why would I go to Moody for communications if I want to do radio or writing or all these different kinds of broadcasting, film? Uh, Why would I go to Moody? Well, we will... I think Moody does a great job in training you in that area, but giving you actually something to say. Uh, Yes, and I will will also add one of the benefits of Moody over the other schools I had looked at is the tuition-paid model that it had. So knowing I was going to have little to no debt when I graduated – was a was a large determining factor. I'm the oldest of five kids. Yeah. Um, and my dad <laughs> your, your parents was blessed a pastor. God when you chose that, right? <laughs> my dad was a pastor. And so there wasn't a lot of um, excess income floating around to yeah. pay for college. And so that um, that was also a very large factor figuring into my decision. That's great. That's great. Well, if you're interested in uh, coming to Moody or sending your uh, teenager to look at Moody, think about it, or maybe even a grandkid, have them check it out. Go to moody.edu. You can learn all about the school there. I think it's a great place to go to school. And we're we're running out of time. You know, we have a little few more weeks for apps to come in for the fall. But uh, still, there's a few spaces left in the dorms uh, that, that we want to make sure that everyone that is led by God to get this great foundation for life, uh, everyone led by God, uh, to apply, will apply. So check out moody.edu. And I'll say I came in in the spring semester because I didn't, it was already full. Uh-huh. Um, and so I didn't get in in the fall. And so I took a few CLEP tests, like you could take community college stuff and transfer those in. And then I just worked extra hours that I could then apply that mm-hmm. money to the school once I got here. So, yeah. you know, there are options too. There's if you other do great miss options. It. Yeah. <laughs> get, get in there. Uh, I, I, you know what? One of the things I love about working with you, Tricia, is that you're such a great radio professional. And I was not when I started on Open Line. I was a professor, right? Right. Uh, I, I, I needed to – I guess I'm a professional, you know. <laughs> After know, 11 years, it maybe counts, Maybe a right? little bit. I don't know. But it, nevertheless, uh, one of the things I love about working with you and every Moody grad here in radio is they're not only experts and pros at radio, but they know the word. And so when we do Bible studies with you, you're someone who has facility with the Word. I think that is just such an encouragement to see the kind of education that Moody gives, uh, and I appreciate it so much. I never regretted going to Moody. I don't think you have either. No. No. So there we go. Uh, Okay, let's let's hit the mailbag. What do we got? So since we have had a few weeks where we've had tapes or we've been in live on location places, several of these have been in here for a few weeks, and... That's important because last month, today in the word devotional that Moody Bible Institute puts out, was studying the book of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so these next group of questions are all about Leviticus. (laughs) So so that's why there is a theme. Um, (laughs) You know, I I think I took an opening word I once did, and I included it in the 50 most important Bible questions. Mm -hmm. Why should I keep on reading Leviticus? Yeah. Uh, And because I get that a lot. Yep. And uh, I wrote about learning to love 
the book of Leviticus and the value of it. So I'm glad people are reading it. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, so Carolyn in Indiana wrote and said, um, this month's Today in the Word study was Leviticus. So this was for April, which you can still access online, by the way. This mm-hmm. month is studying First uh, Kings, I believe. Um, my question is, what does ceremonially unclean mean? And could that person... Were they allowed to continue to participate in the daily routines of life, like work or caring for children, and they were only restricted from participation in ceremonial things of the tabernacle? Yeah, I, th- I think it's re- what Leviticus is trying to show is that you don't approach God uh, uh, carelessly or, uh, how do I put it, without thought. You know, th- there has to be a care in approaching him. So for ceremonial things like sacrifice or worship in the temple, uh, a person could be made ceremonially unclean. It doesn't mean that they're physically unclean or even morally unclean. Uh, For example, touching a dead body made someone ritually unclean and they had to go through a certain uh, ceremony to learn, okay, I have to wash this off, so to speak. Uh, and be purified, and then I can approach God. So uh, ritually unclean or ceremonially unclean has to do with learning a, a care to approach God uh, in, in a respectful way. And, and uh, there are th- different factors that made someone, any loss of bodily fluids was generally thought to make a person ceremonially unclean, but easily rectified through washings and even sacrifices in some cases, but uh, that was that was the purpose. And so, yeah, they could function in life. Uh, now, there are some people who had skin diseases that were because they were contagious. They were not just ceremonial and clean, ceremonially unclean, but they had to keep away from others uh, unless they were healed, and then they went through a uh, ceremonial cleansing. Okay, and so we see some of those in the New Testament when Jesus healed the woman. With the, uh, with the issue with the of blood. blood. When he healed lepers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that those the... would have made you both ceremonially and like physically unclean uh, yeah, to be around other people. Contagiousness, yeah. Okay. Now the ritual, the issue of blood, just ceremonial. But but with hers, because it had been an she, ongoing thing, that it, meant it could, she was outside of that worship yeah, exactly. for 12 years. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, uh, she, men were not to touch... Uh, a menstruating woman, for that would make them ritually unclean. So she, she had a transmission of uncleanness in okay. that way. And okay. so, yeah, it, it's just about showing care and respect for God as we approach him. Okay. That's what it was. All right. Thanks for that question, Carolyn. Uh, the next one is from Joy in Washington. She listens to KMBI. She's actually reading through the Bible again, loving it, and she had made it to Numbers 5. Mm-hmm which talks about the judgment method of a woman suspected of being unfaithful to her husband. Um, It does not say anything about the man and that being a sin of his. Mm -hmm. And therefore it sounds unjust, she says, only toward the woman. Mm -hmm. Can you help me understand this? I'm not a feminist, but I do minister to unsaved women who question God's value of women. Yeah. Well, this is the numbers five, the the bitter waters test. Is that what? Yes. Yeah, that's what she's talking about. Uh, the there's a number of uh, 
uh, different interpretations. I would I would direct any person. I think Jim Coakley in the Moody Bible Commentary did a really nice job uh, in uh, in explaining this, and uh, I understand a little bit there. I think there was a supernatural effect at the time that demonstrated the truth of something or other. Uh, of whether or not a woman was unfaithful or not, that I think that's what it was. Uh, I think it's interesting. I I have my uh, classes uh, in Jewish religious thought. That's one of the thing. This is one of the passages that you have to study a lot about women for one of the papers that they do because they 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 study in the Mishnah uh, as a background for uh, Joseph and his fears about Mary uh, being unfaithful when she... In the Gospels. In the Gospels. Okay. And so, so and they study this. And this comes up even in the Mishnah, in the rabbinic writings. And what I think is interesting is even in the second century A.D., when those traditions developed uh, or, or written down, they were orally, even there, then there was a lack of clarity of as to why this was the way it was. And so very ancient times, the, the, the Jewish interpreters of the Torah had a hard time understanding this. I have a hard time understanding it. I'm not going to say I, I think anyone is certain about what it is. I, don't, I do know that God has a great deal of care for women. He holds men to a higher standard. You can look at that with Judah and Tamar. Uh, what does Judah conclude after uh, their uh, interaction? You are more righteous than I. And so there's a lot to be said. This passage, I'm just not clear. I, I don't, I, I would, I would, one of the principles I always try to teach is always study the unclear in light of the clear. What's clear is that God is protecting women, women in Scripture. Uh, he is uh, honoring women in Scripture, that he doesn't make men less accountable than women in Scripture. You look at the issue of David and Bathsheba. Uh, it came up in a question last week when I listened to the podcast, uh, and I, I know that that Dr. Fabaris, Mike Fabaris, said that uh, David was held accountable, uh, and Bathsheba, who was abused in a sense because David, from a position of power, called for her. Uh, that that's why David was held accountable. Uh, so there's a lot to be said about God holding men responsible and honoring and protecting women. And uh, so for this passage, I understand it's a difficult one. Uh, I would I would need more study to figure out uh, how to explain it. But that's I, I would interpret this one in light of the big picture of Scripture uh, rather than just use this as the only one to guide me in my understanding. Okay. So. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, well, we're going to take a break here. I uh, keep reading Leviticus and send in those questions, is what I'm going to say. Uh, I think that's a great thing. And, you know, we can, and numbers, we can look, keep learning from the Torah. Uh, thanks for those questions, Trisha. Thanks for putting the mailbag. Thanks for sending them in. You can always send them in to openlineradio.org by clicking on Ask Michael a Question. I'll be right back with more of your questions in just a moment, right here on Open Line. Welcome back 
to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik. Hope you've been enjoying our Bible study across America as much as I have been. Uh, you know, one of the frequent questions I get on this Bible study across America is how should followers of Jesus think about the Jewish people? Are are they still God's chosen people? Does God have a plan for the Jewish people? Chosen People Ministries wants to help out all of us who are asking those questions by offering a book called Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. This book explains God's promises to the Jewish people and what they mean for us today. For your copy of Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus, just go to our website, openlineradio.org, scroll down to the link that says A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries, Click on that, you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own copy of Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. We're going to talk with Rick in Des Plaines, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Rick. How can I help you? Thank you, Doctor. Quick question. Uh, we believe, of course, as Christians that uh, God died through Jesus to pay the price for our sins. But at the same time, in John 1, we read that we have to confess our sins for God to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is this like a twofer that while Jesus paid the price, we also have to confess our sins actually for us to be forgiven? I think that there are two categories of forgiveness that we're talking about. And sometimes what happens with this question is when we confuse the two categories. The first category is that we are forgiven for all our sins. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, We are forgiven of all our sins uh, for all time, uh, past, present, future, when we trust in Jesus. So that's category one, eternal forgiveness. Uh, And then... So that's eternal forgiveness. That's the first one that I would I would uh, describe, and then the second one is fellowship forgiveness. Now in First John, it's he's clearly talking to people who are believers because he says that in First John five, he says, "I have written these things." Verse thirteen, "I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God." So he's identifying his audience as those who believe. He also says in 1 John 1 that none of us can say we have no sin. Uh, even though, And he, remember, he's talking to believers. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So here's what we know. These are believers who are eternally forgiven that's what we know from 1 John 5.13. Secondly, we know these are believers who are eternally forgiven, who keep on sinning. I, when I read that, I think, oh, this book was written just for me because I am eternally forgiven. I've trusted in Jesus. I believe in the name of the Son of God. And also, I keep on sinning. So what do I do about it? 1 John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, that means to agree with God about the wrong things we do. Confess means to say the same thing. Homologeo is the Greek word. So if we confess our sins or say the same thing with God, agree with God about our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So when we as believers keep sinning, those sins break fellowship with God. So though we're his children, 
the communication is down, so to speak. And what this does, it restores communication. When we are forgiven, uh, our fellowship is restored, and then we continue this process that is actually begun here in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have things in common with God. That's what it means. And the blood of Jesus, his son, is cleansing us from all sin. And then if we sin, verse uh, 8, what leads us to verse 9, confession, restoration of fellowship, walking in the light, sinning, confession, restoration of fellowship. That's how how it works. So uh, there are two different kinds of forgiveness. Uh, first of all, either eternal forgiveness, which we receive if you're listening and you don't know for sure, you can. All you need to know is we need to put our trust in Jesus. And when we trust in him, what, what happens is we believe that he died for our sins and rose again, and then God forgives us of all our sins. And then we have new life. I want to challenge you. If you've been listening to Open Line, if today's the first day, uh, if you've been listening to Moody Radio and you hear this message over and over again, but you haven't personally trusted in Jesus, don't wait. Today's the day. Say this prayer. Lord, I know you died for, the Lord Jesus died for my sins and he rose again. He took the punishment I deserved and now I trust in his new life to bring new life to me. And uh, if you would say that prayer, you'll have new life. But then walk in the light, follow his word, obey him. And when we sin, we confess that sin. We agree with him and he restores that fellowship that's so sweet that we have with one another, with God and us. So that's that's what I would say is the big difference. It's the most important message I can give to people today. Experience that eternal forgiveness that we can have only in Jesus by trusting in him and then experience that great fellowship that is constantly rejuvenated and restored through fellowship forgiveness by confessing our sins. That's the program for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone, especially those of you who called or sent in questions. Thanks for making Open Line possible. And I'm really especially grateful for our team here, Trisha, our producer, Courtney, for all her technical help, and Mara for for answering the phones. Appreciate that. Keep in touch with us by going to our website, openlineradio.org. Got all sorts of links that you'll find helpful, including how to get our current resource, how to become a kitchen table partner. Also, check out the school, moody.edu. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.